The Money Show with Moteo Haripe on 702. Let's walk the talk. ABSA CIB, the market leader in renewable energy deals across Africa, is proud to bring you The Money Show. ABSA is a registered FSP. Good evening and welcome to The Money Show. My name is Mateo Horipe in for Bruce this evening. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up the business news week on The Money Show. Now, something really disheartening or rather unfortunate happened today. Our process hopes to revive its long-distance train services got off to a nightmarish start after the train was forced to abruptly end the trip between Johannesburg and Cape Town due to operational and infrastructure challenges. Now, passengers aboard the Shosholoza Mail had to complete the rest of their trip by using buses after the overhead electric cables were stripped, leaving commuters stranded on the railway tracks. It's understood the cables were stolen overnight. Now, where have I heard that before? Or yes, The mining sector has had the same problems with South Africa's rails, but with Transnet and has long complained about Transnet's rail and logistics failures that make it hard to export some of its raw materials. Now, tonight we'll be talking to Anglo-American Platinum's new CEO, Craig Miller, about the miner saying today that it's going to be cutting production in 2024 and 2025, largely because of those logistics failures from Transnet. Then at around 8.20, we'll be talking market commentary. Patrick Matidi, head of equities at Aluwani Capital Partners. Uh, news coming in after markets close. Uh, Dan Marogane, the new ESCOM CEO, will also be breaking down uh, what really happened on the market to JC, ending the day in negative territory today. Later on the show, in our Friday file, we'll be talking to George Gregan, Australia's most capped international rugby player. But we're not talking mostly rugby, we're talking brewing brandy. And he'll be talking to us about Avante Brandy, the new business that he's in. Then later... We'll be talking the Brutal Biz Quiz where you can answer all the questions on the content we've covered this week. That's all on The Money Show tonight. The Money Show with Moteo Haribe on 702. 702. Well, Anglo-American Platinum going out to the market today to say it's going to be cutting production uh, to try and save costs at the company. We're now joined by Craig Miller, Anglo-American Platinum's new CEO. Craig, uh, a guidance that you had to take as a company after the tough conditions you faced. Uh, we've seen the uh, prices for Platinum Group Metals not at their peak, but also having some challenges structurally, especially in South Africa in the trading environment. Hi, good evening, Mateo. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, yes, certainly we, we issued an updated guidance today um, uh, from a PG, uh, Platinum Group Metal perspective. Uh, we certainly had um, some challenges this year where the basket price for our metals is, is down about 35% from the start of the year. And uh, unfortunately, due to sort of global macroeconomic factors and some of the challenges that we have in South Africa, um, we certainly needed to, to rethink how we ensure the business is sustainable into the future. And as a result of that, um, we've you know, kept our production, which we were anticipating to grow previously. Uh, we've kept that flat for the next few years. Uh, and we've really refocused uh, some of our capital. And as a consequence of that, we're going to reduce our capital expenditure by about 5 billion rand next year um, and also look to reduce our cost base by a further 5 billion rand. So that's really in response to the market and uh, really making sure that our business is sustainable into the future and we're able to benefit from 
the uptick in, in, in platinum group metal prices, um, which we anticipate to come, uh, particularly as we move into a greener, more energy-efficient world, and platinum gets to, to play a role in that, uh, in, in that space for hydrogen. Then, uh, you know, when commuters, um, you know, come aco- uh, across rail challenges like they did with um, um, Prasa, uh, they can then take a bus. Uh, there are other options, very quick ones that they could use, other forms of transport. Do you have the same outlet when you battle with the Transnet logistics failures and on the rails? Uh, so, Moteo, fortunately, from a platinum group metals perspective and, and Anglo-American platinum, our exposure to some of the challenges with, with Transnet and REL is relatively limited um, because of you know, the nature of our product. Uh, we don't necessarily need to move it by REL. So we haven't been impacted so much by Transnet per se, um, but we have, you know, we have experienced disruptions, uh, particularly uh, with regards to load shedding and load curtailment, uh, because as you can imagine, uh, ref- smelting and refining the, the metal that we produce is extremely energy intensive and so this year as a result of of load shedding uh, or curtailment in our business uh, we have been able to produce around about 80,000 PGM ounces uh, and that translates into about three percent of our refined uh, production for the year. The Public Enterprises Department are saying today they found their man. We have a new CEO in Den Marukane. Does it give you confidence that uh, we could have the power situation uh, reined in in South Africa? Look, I, and you know, I'd like to, to congratulate uh, Dan on, on his appointment. And we certainly look forward to, to working con- and continuing to work with, with him and the ESKIM team as we address the challenges, uh, particularly from, from an electricity supply perspective. Uh, we have been participating as a company quite extensively in the NECOM um, setup, uh, and I think that certainly has um, has created benefits for for not only um, the the mining industry uh, but also South Africa as a whole. Um, and we really look forward to to continuing that relationship with Eskim, and certainly from our perspective as well, continuing to to progress our our own renewable projects as well, which will then create. A lot of uh, a lot more energy supply into the into the market, uh, and importantly, make our uh, production a little bit more cost competitive, uh, given the opportunity that renewables uh, presents itself uh, for us. Then you've also said that capital expenditure at the company uh, at about 1.5 billion rand below guidance. What does that mean for the near future uh, at Amplets? Yes, so as you can imagine, uh, with the decline in prices that I spoke about a little bit earlier, we've certainly needed to, to optimize our capital expenditure, ensuring that our balance sheet remains healthy and, and, and uh, in, in good financial uh, condition. Uh, and so therefore, we've, you know, we have scaled back on some of the capital expenditure. And as I said, we're looking at reducing uh, capital next year by about 5 billion rand really focused on optimizing um, some of the, the downstream processing capital that we would have spent. Um, and that's really just to ensure that the balance sheet remains uh, strong and stable as we withstand some of the headwinds that we're experiencing. And then looking into the forecast of uh, the future of that uh, company on the platinum belt, it hasn't been a great year. When do you expect that things will look up and you'll uh, spend more capital and grow uh, the company more? Yes, look, we've got some amazing assets in our portfolio, uh, both, you know, from a mining perspective and also a processing 
Uh, so, you know, the smelting and the refining. Uh, you know, certainly the, the assets we have have a lot of options in terms of being able to grow as and when markets recover. And I think importantly for us is just as the world adapts to the challenges of, of climate change and, and the energy transition, uh, what we are really upbeat about is the, the opportunity which hydrogen uh, creates for us and platinum uh, and some of the other platinum group metals get to be used in both the, the generation of, of hydrogen um, as well as in the mobility space. And, uh, and that really um, is an opportunity for us into the future in which we're setting the company up uh, to be able to exploit. All right, that was uh, Craig Miller, Anglo-Americans Platinum, new CEO, talking about the guidance that the company gave out to the market, still uh, bleeding from the load-shedding woes that we've seen from Eskom, but saying uh, willing to work with the new CEO, Dan Margan, in making sure that South Africa can uh, securely supply power to some of these big players and also uh, get the economy running. The Money Show will give you all the tools you need to navigate the complicated world of economics and commerce, even if you're not a numbers person. The Money Show with Motel Faribe. 6 to 8 p.m. Making money makes sense. On 702 and Cape Talk. Or bringing you closer to the experts, the activists, and the leaders driving positive climate change. This is The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. He was live at COP28 in Dubai, of course, covering that uh, climate conference for us, brought to you by the Vodacom Group. Now, money pledges grabbed the spotlight again at COP28 in Dubai this week as delegates turned their focus to the yawning gap in the need for climate finance and what's on offer. In our Money Show Explainer today, we talk about sustainable finance for COP28. Sasha Cook, Head of Sustainability Finance, are covering this particular topic with us. Sasha, this place needs a thesaurus. Talk to me about what sustainability finance is. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Yes, you do need a dictionary to make your way around sustainability and sustainable finance. So sustainable finance is, in simplest terms, mobilizing capital for positive impact. That positive impact can be environmental and or social impact, in its simplest terms. Okay. Do we care where the money comes from? Because there's some controversy here that so much, most of the money actually that's been raised at this particular COP is Middle Eastern money. It's oil money. And money is money. Some people take offense to the origins of the capital. Look, to be honest, I think that all parties who are able to mobilize capital need to in order to address the need. If you hear some of the numbers that are being bandied about at COP this year, um, you know, there's talk about trillions of dollars being needed in climate finance. So I, I do think all pockets need to mobilize capital. So, yeah, the origins of the money, if, if, if money out of oil can be used for good, then that's not necessarily a bad as, thing. As part, as part of a credible strategy to decarbonize, I, I think that's going to be needed. Is the strategy credible? That's a very difficult question. And I think that's going to determine, be determined by how countries, how governments look at their own decarbonization pathways, because how a corporate operates needs to be contextualized within the government's commitments, within the regional commitments, and then obviously within the global commitments that the Paris Agreement has set out in terms of trying to 
you know, to flatten the curve to one and a half degrees. I'm asking everybody this question because I think it's, it's an important one, and and that is the, the one and a half degrees. It it's, seems like we've missed that target. We've missed two degrees as well. We hit it for three. Somebody said to me earlier today, we're going for four degrees, which is a more likely scenario at current rates of progress. Decarbonisation. That, that is what, I mean, that is what is out there. I guess whether it is one and a half, two degrees, the goal should be to flatten the curve as quickly as we can, to peak and then flatten and then reduce as quickly as we can. And I think that has to be the goal. I, I, I'm not suggesting that we are on track for one and a half degrees. And I think if you look at all of the United Nations Environment Programme reports that were published just before COP, um, it's got, very clear. We've got to reduce carbon emissions by 44% by 2030. I am more likely to have triplets. <laughs> it's a tall ask. It is. It is a tall ask. Um, I think what is very clear from the messaging from COP is that what we're doing is not sufficient. Mm. So where targets have been set, the ambition has to be re-looked re at. And this is at a country level, it's at a corporate level, it's at a financial institution level. Um, I do think there's a need for more action by all. No, absolutely. Then take me through, we've got sustainability finance, and then there's a subset of that which is called climate finance. Many people would think that those are one and the same. Yes, there's a bit of confusion. So climate finance is a subcategory of sustainable finance, and it specifically focuses on two key pillars. It directs finance towards projects that either have a positive impact on climate mitigation. What do we mean by climate mitigation? We are talking about projects that reduce or avoid emissions. So you could be thinking about uh, switching from fossil fuels to renewable energy, as an example. You might be thinking of electric vehicles. So you're reducing or avoiding emissions. That's the one pillar of climate finance, and it's probably the better understood mm. pillar, climate mitigation finance. The second pillar, which is critical, is climate adaptation finance. So this is finance that is essentially enabling cities, communities, uh, infrastructure to adapt and be more resilient to the impacts of climate change. What are examples here? So you might be talking about um, relocating buildings or infrastructure um, to higher ground where you've got rising sea levels. You might be talking about uh, heat-resistant seeds um, or crops. Um, you know, so essentially you are building in resilience yeah. to enable activities, cities to actually adapt to the impacts of climate change. And that's an acceptance, isn't it? It's a question of things are changing really, really quickly. Are. We, we are not stopping climate change, we're mitigating climate change. So how do we best mitigate it in order to ensure the survivability And build resilience. Of, yes. We need to build resilience. Precisely that, because the world is going to become fairly hard to live in for our kids and grandkids. Correct. Yeah. Not, nodding on the radio is always a, a good strategy, I, I find. <laughs> um, give me an example, then, of the sort of funding you might do in the Southern Africa region when it comes to climate finance. Yeah. So, quite a lot in the space um, that we have done, and it straddles capital markets, so bonds, and those might be green bonds, they might be sustainability-linked bonds, where either the proceeds go specifically to um, projects that have a positive climate impact, um, like raising finance to support renewable energy projects, large renewable energy projects. Um, but we also do quite a lot in the loan space, um, and there's some quite interesting transactions we have funded this year. 
Uh, we provided funding to Wilderness Safaris. Now, Wilderness Safaris, top-end safaris, they go into places. Now, this is quite interesting because they go to places where nobody else goes. They go into pristine environments. And you could say, hold on a second, but they shouldn't be doing that. But they run eco-tourism. It's eco-tourism. And they've got a very particular strategy on ensuring that they run them like boot camps of sustainability. Essentially, that's right. And essentially, the revenues from the safari operations go back into conservation projects. Well, then, uh, that was Sasha Cook uh, speaking to Bruce Whitfield on the sidelines of the COP28 climate finance meeting there, unpacking for us what is sustainable finance that everyone's been talking about at COP28. If you want more of that interview, go to your favorite podcast app and type in The Money Show. Well, Vodacom's digital technologies and services enable their customers to reduce their environmental footprint. Their IoT services, including logistics and fleet management and smart metering, present three main opportunities for customers. Increase efficiency and reduce wastage. Use of IoT to deliver cost efficiency and change in customer behavior to promote long-term sustainability. Over the past two years, Vodacom supported customers in avoiding 2.6 million metric tons of CO2 emissions, the equivalent of more than 150 million trees growing for one year. The Money Show. The Markets. Looking into the markets, the JSC down close to a thousand points was the all share today, really let down by mining shares that were down close to 6%. Of course, Anglo down 13%, Karoo down 7.5%, with APSA also amongst the losers uh, up six, down rather 6%. We're going to be looking at the markets with Patrick Matidi, head of equities at Aliwani Capital Partners. A lot of weakness today, and it was the trading update from Anglo. Yeah, great thing, Matthias. Thanks for having me. Uh, indeed, uh, the trading update was very negative, as evidenced by the share price reaction. Uh, I think it's you know, what we're seeing across the miners, uh, starting off with some of the single commodity producers, especially the platinum guys, where we are seeing you know, the strength on the underlying commodity. Uh, Patrick, price. let's try to get you on a clearer line there so we can hear what you have to say about the market performance on the JSE today. Of course, industrials down a half a percent, uh, up a half a percent, the only index actually that was in positive territory today. Uh, banking and insurance stocks also uh, down a half a percent, but it was the mining shares that really let down the JSE. Earlier on the show, uh, speaking to Craig Miller, Anglo-American Platinum's new CEO, that market guidance uh, really speaking to production cuts at the company to save costs, which doesn't look or bode well for job creation in the sector. Of course, we do know that uh, platinum group metals have been uh, down over this past year and also the difficulties compounded by the uh, problem that we've come so accustomed to in South Africa, load shedding. Uh, luckily, they don't have uh, too much exposure to Transnet, but Anglo are uh, down 13% today. Internet of doing business, uh, Karoo down 7.5%. APSA also saying they're seeing a lot of bad loans at the bank. A lot of people uh, really defaulting on their major purchases. And that's because we've had that high interest rates are from the Saab. And they're starting to see a lot of those bad loans go up now. Retailer pick and pay also down 4.5%. Let's try and get back uh, Patrick on the line. Your take on the markets today, Patrick. Yeah, thanks for having me once again. Um, you know, down about 1.3%, so we are down for the week. I think the month has started off with a back foot with a lot of enthusiasm from November fizzling off. And uh, what we saw earlier in terms of the U.S., you know, didn't help. 
uh, where we saw the non-farm payroll number come out a lot stronger than expected, which gives an indication that perhaps the economy is a lot stronger with uh, some signs of underlying inflation, and therefore the narrative of higher for longer interest rates you know, remaining, which then puts a dampener on the prospects for rate cuts. So we saw that market spending off, and then also our market, you know, plagued also by the GDP numbers and a lot of other company results, which are not great. Uh, we saw a bit of a profit-taking, if I can call it that, coming through. It hasn't been a great data week, of course. That GDP number was weaker. A consumer confidence ahead of the festive season, also quite weak. And then these trading updates. APSA, amongst those companies, are giving a trading update, saying their bad loans are also increasing at the bank. Yeah, I mean, we saw that stock also down quite quite a lot. Uh, I think we also saw yesterday uh, NetBank come out with their own trading update, uh, which does not paint a, an, an overwhelmingly positive picture, especially when you look at the at, at the macros. So, so indeed, you know, all numbers uh, coming through, all pointing to an economy that is still struggling, and uh, hopefully, maybe with uh, some rate cuts coming through early next year, we could see that actually picking up and uh, the economy doing well, and uh, and then also that translating into better prospects for some of the companies. We've seen that gold price come off the surge that we've seen over the past week. Uh, is it the end of the two thousand dollar mark? Uh, you know, surge that we've seen from the elemental. It would appear so, especially if uh, the economic um, numbers coming out of the U.S. You know, point to a much stronger economy, and therefore the prospects for high inflation, so for high interest rates, you know, remaining. So you may recall that you know, gold was actually supported by prospects of a rate cut, uh, which we saw for the month of November actually doing very well, you know, that sector. But to the extent that you know that appears to be changing, we are seeing gold now being under quite a bit of pressure. And if you look at a stock like Angler Gold, it's down about four percent or so today, and twelve percent for the week actually. All right, that was uh, Patrick Matidi, Head of Equities at Aliwani Capital Partners, covering the markets for us. After the news, we'll be talking to Mteto Nyati, Eskom Chairman, about the appointment of Dan Marukani as the new Eskom CEO. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. Absa CIB, the market leader in renewable energy deals across Africa, is proud to bring you The Money Show. Absa is a registered FSP. Thanks again for joining The Money Show. But 20 minutes now to 7. Dan Marukani, of course, being announced as the new ESCOM Chief Executive Officer. Government's Department of Public Enterprises has confirmed Marukani will join ESCOM no later than the 31st of March next year. The utility has been without a permanent CEO since February when the then CEO under Dereta left with immediate effect. Marukane will take over from interim CEO Khalib Kasim, who's also expected to stay within the utilities ranks. Marukane now is the 15th CEO to head ESCOM since 2007 facing the tough task of taking the country out of the power crisis while also transitioning the utility into a cleaner energy future. Of course, he holds a master's degree in engineering and an MBA as well, joining uh, ESCOM after uh, being uh, at the sugar producer Tongat Hewlett. Uh, here to talk about this particular uh, breaking story, we're going to be talking to the chairman at ESCOM, um, Teto Nyati, uh, joining us here on The Money Show. Mr. Nyati, uh, welcome again to The Money Show. This a big appointment for ESCOM. You were part of the process going through all the candidates, I believe more than 100 that you went through. Why did you think Dan Marukani was the guy? Yeah, you know, the, the first thing for us was to look at ESCOM 
where we are in ESCOM, what are the challenges that ESCOM is facing, and where, what is happening in the environment of ESCOM, uh, what kind of future do we want for ESCOM? So we combined all of those elements and then came up with a criteria that will help us to look at people through these lenses. You know, can you do a turnaround? Do you have a proven track record of fixing things that are broken? Uh, when it comes to demotivated staff, uh, a culture that is dysfunctional, have you worked in an environment where you have inspired people, helped people to be able to believe in themselves and rallying them and show them this is where we need to be going? You know, when it comes to strategic thinking, we are at that point now where we can no longer continue to be increasing the price of electricity for South Africans. We need to figure out ways and means of reducing our cost of producing electricity. Does the candidate have the capacity to come up with ideas that will help us to drive down the cost? Uh, at the same time, trying to make sure that uh, we do not uh, uh, pollute the environment. You know, It's all of those elements together that we looked through those lenses and, and then came up very strongly. The other thing is South Africans are so tired of, of, of where we are now with regards to ESCOM. So one day the candidate that knows the ins and outs of ESCOM, somebody who's going to hit the ground running and then is that candidate. Then, Mr. Nyati, I mean, you're listing a lot of things. We're frustrated as South Africans. Uh, uh, I'm sure you heard earlier, um, you know, Amplats um, talking about how they've been affected by load shedding. Business has also been frustrated. The economy has been hit by the load shedding uh, from ESCOM. What would be the, you know, the high priority deliverables for Mr. Marukani as he walks into the ESCOM office? You know, if you are in anyone, uh, in any leadership role, like I have been a CEO, there is no one thing. You, you are expected to do a number of things at the same time. You know, that's another thing that we looked at, the ability to be able to drive key initiatives at the same time. So, but one, the key point that we would like to see within ESCOM right now is the recovery of the generation. You know, we have a, 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 a recovery generation plan that we, we, we put together, together with management. It's a 24-month plan. We are driving that plan. We want somebody who's going to accelerate that recovery plan, come up with ideas. Uh, what is it that it's going to take in order for us not to wait 20, 24 months? It should be 18 months. What, what should we do? So we're looking for something like that. You know, the, 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 Right now, we are going through the restructuring of ESCOM into the three entities. You know, somebody that is going to help us with that effort without destabilizing uh, ESCOM. So the restructuring is another key priority that this leader will have. And, and maybe the last one is to make sure that uh, we drive a culture where there is accountability, you know, where we, we deal with corruption decisively within ESCOM. So those will be the key things that we see as the board. Of course, there are many others, but these are the key points that we'd like to see this leader taking forward. 
I think Dan Marukan is about the 15th CEO walking through Eskom's doors. Of course, he is rejoining the company, but uh, this is his first time rejoining as a CEO. About 15 of them walking in and out of those doors. Will he be protected by the board, especially when it comes to political interference that other CEOs have spoken about at Eskom? Are you going to be, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that guard fence for him to do his job? We want Dan to, Dan to focus on these priorities that I've just highlighted. Because if he doesn't focus on those, we're not going to be able to get out of the mess that we're in. So the, we, we as the board, and me in particular as the chairman, it is my responsibility to give him the air cover that he needs in order for him to do his job. So my job is to help him to provide that air cover, manage the different stakeholders out there to make sure that when they are engaging us, they're engaging us in a positive way that is trying, it's about helping us to move things forward faster with a sense of urgency. So that is how we see ourselves as the board, providing the cover, but also providing guidance because we've got a board here that has got so much experience that, uh, that can guide. We don't want to, to, to reinvent the wheel, you know, who provide the wisdom and the guidance and that's what we are going to do. And that's what we have been doing, even with the acting chief uh, executive uh, over the last while. The last time I spoke to you at ESCOM's uh, results, uh, you were talking about uh, setting in a culture where uh, chairmen and CEOs stay for a company for a long time, as one would do in the corporate sector, for instance, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, have you had the conversation with Dan Marukane about how long he's staying uh, at this particular tenure? Because, of course, if he stays there longer, then he's there long enough to, to, to you know, carry the plans that the board has. You know, uh, you, you, you can imagine this is not one of those jobs that uh, everybody, you know, somebody wakes up and says, hey, I want to be the CEO of ESCOM. It needs to talk to you as, an, as a person. It needs to connect with your people. You know? uh, here we've got a person who has got a mission to say that he knows ESCOM. He knows that this company can be great. He has been with ESCOM when it was great. He, he would like to make sure that we get back to that point. So this is a somebody that is not coming and say tomorrow I'll, I'll be gone. You know, this is somebody that would like to be here for the long time. And that is another thing that we looked at. You know, does this person have the runway? You know, from an age perspective, will we be able to? To, to have a leadership team that is stable, because that's key. You need stability at a yeah. leadership level. So then, then has that commitment. He, he is passionate about our country. He is passionate about the role that ESCOM can play. And, and uh, he's committed to the journey. All right, Mr. Nyati, look, I can tell you, I speak for all South Africans when I say we wish him well, clearly want him to do well uh, to keep the lights on in the country. Uh, Dan Marugani, the new CEO at ESCOM, and that was Mteto Nyati, ESCOM's chairman. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. Having a special guest today on the Friday File, we're talking Avante Brandy. Uh, George Gregan, Australia's most capped international rugby player, uh, joining us for this particular conversation. Of course, Avante has emerged from the collaboration of 15 international rugby icons united by their commitment to overcoming 
the odds are led by World Cup champion John Smith. Uh, they're making a global impact with an elegant pot still brandy that sets you that sets them rather apart from the rest of the pack. Uh, George, thank you for joining us here on The Money Show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the show. You all shared uh, competition on the field, um, Wallabies against uh, the Springboks. Uh, you've all come together now as uh, icon rugby players, not to uh, talk about the game, but also to get into the brewing of brandy. Why? Yeah, well, it was actually strong leadership from a, a former wonderful Springbok captain, World Cup winning captain in John Smith. He reached out to a number of players, uh, obviously in South Africa and outside of that, which is the rugby family. And I think that's what avant-garde stands for, like bringing people, uh, and that's our game, um, from all different parts of the world. But we've got one thing in common. We enjoy competing hard against each other. We also enjoy sharing a drink together. And why not share something that's pretty special, but it's also very uh, South, Cape, South African and, and the Cape Town effect. The world-class brandy, cognac style, is something uh, I think everyone can share. Um, and, and celebrate what's been a pretty impressive year for Springbok rugby. But I think that was that was part of it. It was like, how can we be on the same team for the? For, well, we played a couple of games together, but be on the same team and do something we're passionate about and share it with other people who are like minded. Now, on the rugby pitch, it was usually gladiator battles. Uh, but after that, of course, rugby is known for being a gentleman's sport. Uh, you would go off to the change rooms and share uh, some drinks. Um, did John Smith keep a list of guys that he enjoyed having that drink with and call them together here uh, to say, look, guys, let's start a brand that we can all back? Or is this something that you've always chatted about as you played uh, during your days? I think so, definitely. I think the history between myself and John Smith goes back to probably 2001. We played against each other, obviously, Super Rugby. He was playing at the Sharks as a young man. I was obviously playing the Brumbies, and we, we, we played against each other a lot um, as Springboks and Wallabies. And as I said earlier, he obviously went on to captain the Springboks in 2007 to a World Cup victory. Uh, but we played many test matches. We were lucky enough to play a couple of games together as well for the for, for the Barbarians, as well as we had a North versus South um, match to raise money for the tsunami, um, uh, I guess, affected community in Banda Aceh in Indonesia at the end of, beginning of 2005. And, you know, when you've played against each other in rugby, it's funny. Sometimes the biggest competitors end up becoming your greatest mates afterwards. And that's definitely been the case with myself and Smitty, Victor Matfield, people like Butch James who are part of um, the avant-garde uh, Another guy across the ditch in New Zealand, uh, Justin Marshall. Same thing. We're super competitive, but we really enjoyed each other's company. And, yeah, the chance to be involved with uh, this avant-garde uh, initial starting 15 and being involved with something I think is going to be pretty special. Um, and as you've already mentioned, some of the, the attributes of, of this cognac-style brandy it's going to be it's going to be something you want to share with good people and good friends. I think rugby epitomizes that in spades. When uh, John Smith called you to be part of this particular project, did you ever nudge him and say, "Look, Smitty, we can call this four more years"? Uh, you know, let's give it a, a <laughs> funny name. That was, well, we launched it. We launched it actually in, in during the World Cup, which is, as we know, is a four year cycle. So there's no need to there's no need to bring that up. But every, I, I get that brought up so many times from 2003. It brings everyone a bit of a smile to her face. But we, we actually launched it in a, in an Aussie pub, believe it or not, in Paris. Um, and it was it was really good fun. And, you know, you had Jim Hamilton, I think he's over there. 
at the moment with uh, Butch James, John Smith, and Skull Fritz. They're launching uh, actually in in Johannesburg today, doing a great event, um, and I think working with some of our really key suppliers um, who's been really supportive right from the get go. Better give them a quick shout out to it's South African Norman Goodfellows team, and then next year we're going to be uh, working with Pick and Pay and Yuppie Chef, and then Macro to take this on and really take it to the world. And then we're obviously going to look to launch into the UK, uh, France, and then obviously Fiji and maybe a little bit into the US. So we've got, you've got to start somewhere and the start was good. It was the World Cup. And I think if you're a Springbok fan, a South African supporter, it's not a bad way. It's a winning, it's a winning start um, going back to back as world champions. And we all know what a great job uh, that they did by by. <laughs> Defending the World Cup and winning back to back, and uh, you know, see uh, Kalisi and his team were, were outstanding on that uh, wonderful night in Paris. So you uh, packed Avant Brandy and you took it to France and you went around there, of course, enjoying some rugby. I'm sure, but as soon as the box won, I'm sure everybody knew Avant at the end of the <laughs> night. It was the, the drink of choice, wasn't it? It was definitely the drink of choice, and you know everyone has it differently. I know Smitty and the boys, the South African boys, like it with coke. I like it just, I like it on the rocks. It's that beautiful just to have. So I'm not too sugar. Like each to their own. I'm not going to judge, but I don't like coke. It's still not quite. And I've got a taste. beautiful sort of, um, yeah, and that's that's nice. You sip it and you laugh and you communicate, and it's just a great way to, um, you know, be around your friends. And and I think it's something you celebrate with. And uh, I think it's it was definitely a very good addition. Uh, to the end of game festivities uh, this year in Paris. My next question was around uh, taste, and you've already started by saying that you're not going to have brandy and coke, which is, of course, South African favorite mm. here. Uh, just talk <laughs> about your taste yeah, of this uh, Avant brand. Uh, what 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 do you feel when you when you sip it? Some of the notes that you pick up. Yeah, I definitely feel like you can you can taste obviously that the cognac style, and you can taste the barrels that it's been in there. So it brings that. Um, Nice sweetness, but not overly. And there's a bit of a smokiness to it as well, which I do love. And that comes out nicely, really subtly. And it's got a long finish. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a connoisseur, but I do really enjoy that depth of flavour. And yeah, and as I said, I like to just have a few cubes of ice and you just sip it and it opens up, which um, you know, I think when you're having something like this, which is probably in the style of a VSOP, which is, you know, where, where I think it needs to, to sit. And then I think when you look at it, so that's the tasting notes, but when you actually unbox it and unpackage it, you can see that it's, it's set up in a really, um, I think, uh, you, you have to call it premium. It's got a premium look and feel, really nice yeah, colouring, yeah. and, and it stands for something which I think um, if you're going to do this, yeah, you want people to, to take it away. And if you're gifting it for Christmas or you're receiving it as a gift, you say, hang on, I've got something pretty, pretty special here. I think they've done a really good job of that. And yeah, once you open it up, it sort of goes to the next level in terms of the taste and flavor. But everyone's palate's different. Like I've just given you my palate. Yeah. Like your palate might be totally different. And some people might have a bit more of a sweetness, hence they like the coat. But everyone is different. And yeah, it can fit everyone's sort of palate, which I think is nice. Now you took this VSOP uh, brandy, a Cape brandy to France, and I know they're very protective of their cognacs and champagnes. Uh, what did the French have to say about uh, this drink? Yeah, they, they do like it. And I think the French, you know, over the years, they, they like, if, you, if you're playing your platonque, they like their pastiche, but they also like their sipping rums, quite a range of those, the darker rums, the clearer rums. So this this really um, actually sat nicely into their palate. And again, I think they're, they're probably a bit like myself. They probably just like it kind of neat, slash maybe with a bit of ice, but it fits really nicely into those offerings that they already have. 
and um, you know, I think that's that's what's exciting about it. It's a sort of um, it's a sort of uh, alcohol uh, drink, which I think will be consumed uh, on a global scale and be appreciated um, in all different parts of the world. As smooth as his back pass, uh, George Gregan, Australia's most capped international rugby player, talking there about Avant Cape Brandy, launching it with 15 other players under the stewardship of John Smith. That is our Friday file.